I started to develop a relationship with myself that I had never had before. I started to feel good when my head hit the pillow at night. I started to feel proud of myself. Welcome to your Journey to Joy podcast. I'm your host, Moira Gorski, and I'm on a mission to help you find joy in the chaos of life. As a retired nurse, multi-passionate entrepreneur, and mom of four adult children, I know what it's like to feel the overwhelm of it all and wonder if and when the joy will show up again. And I've learned it's up to us to go find that joy. On this show, you will hear inspiring stories from those who have overcome all kinds of life challenges, tips on how to stay healthy and vibrant during the ups and downs of life, and simple ways on finding joy in your own life. Let's face it, life is messy, yet when we travel together on this journey, support and encourage each other along the way, that joy starts to show up again. I'm so excited to lead you on this journey of you to find the joyful life that you deserve. Welcome to another episode of this podcast. I'm your host, Moira Gorski. So glad you are back here today. I have met my guest that's coming with me today. I met her several years ago, certainly pre-pandemic, at a support group uh, in our area called She Recovers. I just was drawn to Heather, and I've watched her for a long time, and I love her energy. I love what her message that she puts out there about living a better life and ditching the drink and um, living into sobriety. And she is a life and recovery coach and helps other people based on what she's learned on her journey of life. So thank you, Heather, for joining me today. I'm really looking forward to our conversation. Me too. This is awesome. Thank you so much for having me. And there's nothing I love more than to talk about um, what some people call recovery, but I actually call discovery and helping clients discover themselves and realign with their true selves. And for me, that journey was through ditching the drink. Yeah. Well, and I love that because as I've switched, as I've stepped into my second season of my podcast and talking about joy, I love that because it's, you know, I was talking about and sharing stories about recovery and overcoming addictions and overcoming challenges. And there's always going to be that journey, I say, but I love what you just said. It's the discovery. Cause now I like to really focus on again, looking past that challenge. And again, there's always going to be challenge. There's always going to be some disorder perhaps that is going to require a little juggling, mm-hmm. but if we can intentionally focus on joy or we can discover those things in our life that bring us joy, then I believe that's a much better place to be. So that's kind of what you're doing. Absolutely. Yeah. So recovery like technically means go back to how you were before something happened. And for me, my journey was a a journey of sober curiosity, which ultimately ended in sobriety for me. And well, didn't end. The journey continues, of course, but I'm, I am sober now. But for me, sobriety wasn't going back to what I was before drinking. I took my first drink at 12 years old. <laughs> so I wasn't going back to being an 11-year-old or a 12-year-old. I was actually taking everything I learned, all the obstacles I have overcome, and discovering like this new phase for myself in the society because I thought I was giving something up. I thought I was letting go of alcohol. And I thought that that mean, meant letting go of fun, letting go of adventure, letting go of friendships, and all these things that I believed alcohol brought me. And it turns out I was wrong, right? Sobriety was like the best surprise of my life. I Everything I was seeking in alcohol, I actually found through sobriety. So this has been a journey for me of discovery. So I've learned not only to ditch the drink, but also so many things that you've talked about with other guests too, like learning 
to overcome my perfectionism, right? Learning to overcome my people-pleasing habits. Um, as a high achiever, learning to accept myself as I am and let myself fail and make mistakes and do this gloriously. And mostly owning my story, but as what Brene Brown would say, like owning myself, right? Yeah, absolutely. I love that. I love that. And um, I think that idea of curiosity when we become when we can become curious about what's going on around us, um, as I always mention, it seems like on this podcast, when I went through mindfulness-based stress reduction, there's this whole noticing part. Mm-hmm. And like when we can slow down enough to notice, I think be curious, then really we can, healing can begin, discovery can begin, um, change can begin. And um, and yet we live in this busy world where we're just going all the time. And with addictions and disorders, we tend to just block all of, we just numb ourselves out to what's going on and how we're feeling and things like that. And so I'm wondering how you became, again, you took your first drink at 12. I mean, how did, um, as life went on, um, how did you become curious about taking a look at like your drinking and how that was impacting your life or, or tell us a little bit about that story. Yeah. Well, first of all, I tried very hard not to, (laughs) I tried very hard not to look at uh, my drinking and my beautiful best friend wine um, and blame that in any way. I protected that until I could, I left claw marks in the bottle. So I always say like dying by alcohol would be the worst case scenario. Getting sober would be the second worst case scenario. That's literally what I thought. It's not at all what I wanted. I carried around a lot of shame about that for a long time, but looking back, to be honest, who was I not to become a drinker? First of all, I was born in a small town, Wisconsin. My parents met in a beer tent. So everywhere around me, alcohol was normalized. It was a normal coming of age kind of thing. My dad was what you would call a classic alcoholic, probably. He quit drinking by the time I was five years old. My parents divorced when I was two years old, and it was mostly due to his drinking, let's say. So my dad was like a bad drinker. We would label him like that. But my mom, she loved to drink too, right? She loved her beer and that was awesome. So it was in my family. It was in my genetics. It was in my community. It was in my town. Wisconsin has more bars per capita than churches or grocery stores. So it was just everywhere I turned was drinking. And it wasn't always a problem for me, right? It was this gradual drinking is not, um, it's an experience, right? It's, mm-hmm. it's not a yes or no thing. It's an experience and it can change over time. So I started, I had a drink very early, which I now know is a sign for people. I didn't know at the time. And I drank through high school. I had a great time, party girl. I drank through college. I met my husband in a bar. I mean, that's where all good love stories happen, right? That's right. We I were met mine at a bar too. Uh-huh. Of course. Yeah. <laughs> so we moved from Wisconsin to Chicago um, just after we graduated and we got jobs at the same place, which was sort of the college after college. They hired a bunch of new grads. Now we had a salary though. So we were drinking a little bit better drinks, right? And we were going to Cubs games, we were going to concerts and we were going to happy hours and we were playing house and we were very grown up in our little apartment drinking. I was no longer drinking Bush Light. You know, I had probably moved up to maybe a fancy IPA or something like that. (laughs) So all again, all very normalized. And I'm a social extrovert person who loves to have fun. Fun is like a top value of mine. So this fit right into it. Through the years, I had kids. I have two daughters and I didn't drink during both my pregnancies, 
But as soon as the babies were born, I could have a little wine in the afternoon. It felt very European of me, right? And it felt like I wanted to keep something of my own, like becoming a mom. I didn't want to also become a nun or like have no fun. But my husband was traveling for work and he was drinking in fabulous places in Vegas at all you can drink parties or at um, private Katy Perry concerts or whatever. And I was stuck home working part-time, trying to keep my career and having two little ones and trying to manage and raise them. And it was at the same time, this mommy wine culture was starting to increase saying mommy's little helper and wine all day or coffee till wine or might be wine in here or um, play dates with a little bit of wine. And I was all for it. That sounded great to me because you know what, after a day's work, looking at the long evening of bedtime, bath time, dinner time with your kids, that is a challenge. And I was a little bit bored, overwhelmed, lonely, missed my husband. And that was a lot of work. So um, also my job, although my, my degree was in social work, I very quickly moved to get a certificate in human resources and I sold HR solutions. So I was typically the only female on all male sales teams and drinking felt like part of the job. Hmm. I could get close to decision makers in a bar or at a happy hour more than I could in the office. And drinking was encouraged and it was done by leadership and it was a way to fit into the all boys club, right? And also I love to drink. So that worked out for me. It wasn't until my little one went to kindergarten and I took a full-time job at that point and I was unhappy. I switched and took another one. I was unhappy. And I had, um, my dad died during the interview process when I went for a full-time job. I had very long hours, a very long commute downtown, a responsibility with a, with a big team. My dad died during the interview process. I broke my leg the first week on the job in January in Chicago, having, with no remote options, having to travel, you know, wobble from the suburbs to, with public transportation to the city somehow with a broken leg. Um, in the next two years, I would do two more eulogies. So I did my dad's eulogy and then I had two friends that were my age passed away without warning, out of order deaths, leaving their families. And it was tragic. And my, mm -hmm. this is where my drinking for 30 years, my drinking was fine or okay or normalized or whatever it was. I always knew I liked it more than most, but it didn't seem tragic or sad until this, until this, these events happened in my life. And I really didn't want to feel that grief. Because I was doing the eulogies, I wanted to keep it together and do a really good job. So by the time the eulogies were over and the services were done, I just told myself to get over it, right? To not feel that pain, to not, to just get over it, whatever, people die. So I poured alcohol on it. And that's where it kind of switched from being normal to being self-medication that I administered myself alone on the couch at night. I would put the family to bed. And I would stay down and I would drink and I would drink and this started to increase. And it became, not only did I go to alcohol to feel better, I went to alcohol to not feel bad. You know, like I was always feeling bad and alcohol would give me a little bit of an uptick. It would, it would relieve me of myself and my pain for a minute. And it became a daily habit and it started mm -hmm. to change. My mental health went down. I was full of anxiety, depression. Um, hangovers. I, I was bloated. I didn't recognize myself in the mirror. It was just really 
increasing with speed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and um, it's just that everything was okay until it wasn't, right? Because again, I think that this is the way society is. And I don't ever, you know, say that if I talk to somebody that's a sobriety coach, that everybody has to stop drinking. It's not that because there is, like you said, drinking is normalized. There is, you know, there's celebration, there's those kind of things. But um, when that kind of starts to get in the way of your life, um, it seemed to be like it was okay with you until it started to impact you in ways that you never kind of imagined. Yeah. But again, sometimes again, there's those those triggering events, right? The death of friends, the death of your father, you know, the fact that you just didn't want to, that you were sad. And you didn't want to think about that. Or It turned out I had no other coping skills. Right. I think that was the main problem. Yeah. I had gone to alcohol always for good days and bad, for celebration and for grief. Like it was the only thing I had and it was the only thing I knew. Um, I mean, even in high school, you would drink over a good, uh, if you won the game and if you lost the game and if it was sunny and if it was a snow day. Right. I mean, either way, it was that. So it turns out I really didn't have anything else to to use. I didn't have any other tool to cope. I had only had one. So my process to sobriety was a series of experiments. I started with a 100 day sober challenge and I made it to 70 days and I thought I was cured and this was a miracle and this was wonderful. And because I could quit drinking, I didn't actually have to quit drinking. So hallelujah. Mm -hmm. I celebrated by what else, but opening a bottle of champagne probably. Right. But it taught me something. I always say that experiment was the best failure of my whole life because although I didn't get to day 100, like I had planned, I started to develop a relationship with myself that I had never had before. I started to feel good when my head hit the pillow at night. I started to feel proud of myself. And I started to feel good again when I woke up in the morning. And as a drinker, the first thought I had every morning when I woke up was how bad do I feel today and how much do I hate myself? Hmm. Maybe the night before was a little foggy. Maybe I don't know when I went to bed or if I finished that bottle or if I even opened another. Um, So that was the real pain of it was this disconnect I had with myself. And I didn't have a relationship with myself. And when I, and I was trying to avoid myself, I was actually pouring alcohol on my thoughts because I didn't want to hear myself. I didn't want to be curious. I didn't want to pay attention to me. I didn't want to know what I had to say because I was afraid of what that would mean for my life, right? I was afraid I had set up this life that maybe wasn't working right for me. Mm -hmm. So it was much easier to pour alcohol on it than to address it. But slowly, day by day, step by step. So I did this for three years. I did these on and off drinking experiments, trying to manage my relationship with alcohol because I so desperately didn't want to let it go. I didn't want it to be the thing. I didn't want to call myself an alcoholic and I didn't want to let it go. And I didn't want it to be a problem at all. I wanted to be able to manage it. But after all that time, um, every time I went back, I slipped further and faster and harder And it became clear that it wasn't something I could keep in my life and it really wasn't good for me. And so I had to at least try to let it go. I mean, I wanted to blame my marriage. I wanted to blame anything I could, but it really looked like alcohol wasn't helping me. So no matter what was to come of my future, I had to give it a real try and let it go. And I did that on February 20th of 2018. And day by day, I have built a life that is so beautiful, 
sobriety has been the best surprise of my life. I didn't go back to those jobs. I was in between jobs and I became a certified, first I became a certified life coach of law and attraction. Then I became a certified professional recovery coach. Then I became a certified life coach. Then I got a certificate of well-being from Yale University. Then I became a certified facilitator of addiction awareness training. And I threw myself into sobriety. I threw myself into my life and I woke up. Right. You know, I had these dead eyes and nobody was home and the lights went on. <laughs> and I started to, honest to God, live out every dream I've ever had for myself. And ditching the drink was the portal to do that. And now that's what I help others do as well. It's a great, it's a great story. You threw yourself into that and you woke up and you woke up to this beautiful life that was right there for you. I mean, that's a great, yeah. you know, it's a great story. And before we like say, oh, hallelujah and everything's, you know, kumbaya, mm -hmm. I imagine that there were some times and th there are times there that like, that you felt the feelings, right? You've had the feelings came up or there were like, okay, it's going to, I would rather go back here or like, you know, what are those things that I think, again, I love to share these stories, but there's always that time that as you're on that road, that you have to feel the feelings yeah, and you're not going to numb them out with something that you chose before. Like, but how do you deal with the feelings? So what are those, what can you share from that experience of how the things that you chose, you didn't have coping mechanisms. So what are the coping mechanisms or some of them that, that you discovered that, you know, has helped you? Definitely. Life is still lifey. I say that too. I mean, and it's not, they have, there's still life, but I am more capable to handle it when I'm not drunk, clearly, right? When I have mm -hmm. a clear head and a full heart and I'm full of confidence now and belief in myself, I can handle those things. And I do have some tools. So at first I wanted to jump out of my skin most of the time, right? So some of it was, I mean, just walking, escaping. I think one thing people need, especially moms, and they don't recognize is time alone. So it was developing this relationship with myself and starting to tune in instead of tune out. And I would have to leave my house and walk around the block talking out loud to myself, sometimes saying I'm not going to go home till I feel better. So that meant I was circling that block 12 times in a row, talking to myself, looking like a crazy person to my neighbors, right? I started a practice on day two of my sober journey of waking up and reading a daily devotional. And the first year I read the daily stoic and the second year I read Mark Nepo. Now I'm reading, I'm um, Dawn from she recovers like recovery reflections book, but reading a daily devotional, starting the day with intention. And then I journaled and I've always been a writer and I love to write. So this was great for me, but I journaled to hear myself. I journaled to pay attention to myself, right? I journaled to hear what I had to say, which was the opposite of numbing and pouring alcohol on it and ignoring and avoiding. So those were the my morning practices that really helped. And then I started to like schedule dates with myself and time for myself. I joined a very bougie gym, which I had never done. That was a leap of faith to spend so much money, but it gave me a place to go on Saturday nights when I didn't have any friends and I wasn't going to go out drinking and I needed something to do with myself. I would go on the treadmill and then I'd sit in the steam room in the sauna and enjoy this like alone time. And I still do that sometimes. Mm. So those things I read, I love to read. And then I reconnected. So I was really unhappy in my job, even though I was often top salesperson, the environments weren't right for me. And the leadership didn't have the same ethics as me. So I poured myself into build. I had lots of energy because I wasn't hungover and I wasn't drinking. And I poured myself into building my business. 
and learning, learning about addiction mm-hmm. and the brain science behind it. And it's, it's not your fault. If anybody is struggling, it's like, it's not you, it's alcohol. That's what alcohol does. It hijacks your brain and your body is responding appropriately. If you are bloated, if you are dehydrated, if you're feeling hungover, if you have anxiety, that heart panic feeling at 3am worried about what you might have done or said, those are all the direct results of alcohol. So your body's doing what it's supposed to do. Alcohol is doing what it is supposed to do. It is pretty darn hard to get away from it. And you need support. You definitely need support, community, tools, alternatives, Um, There was a million, I had a friend go through it with me. So that really helped. Now I provide community for my clients. Um, If I could have found a sober coach like me, I definitely would have got one. I didn't know of any at the time. Now there's plenty out there, but um, yeah, it was building a relationship with myself and pouring myself into the things I loved. Right. I used to like say, I liked yoga, but I didn't really do it. Say I like to go hiking, but I didn't really do it. Say I like to read. Um, I think I read four books the year when I was drinking. And then I think I read like 50 the year I got sober. So mm-hmm. I started actually taking action on doing what I like to do. All those things were tools that helped me. And I let myself feel, mm-hmm. you know, I don't tell myself what I feel is wrong. And there's a lot of tears involved. I'm an intensely emotional person. So I also still cry a lot. <laughs> Yeah. Well, I just, yeah, I think, um, again, all of that is so great. I could listen to you for a very long time because it's very, very wise words and all of that. And so much that, um, that we go through. And again, when we get rid of those things that are blocking us or numbing us out, we do have to feel those feelings. And, um, I'm a big journaler too. And I love that. I haven't heard anybody say it that way. I say that it's like free therapy for us, but I love how you said, you know, it's a way to hear yourself because I feel like when we do, if it's that you give yourself a prompt of like, why am I feeling this way? Or what do I really need to hear today? And you start writing this flow just comes. That's again, it's you talking yourself, whatever you want to believe it to be, but it's you talking into that paper. And I feel like there's such wisdom that comes from that journaling. Absolutely. So anyone who's curious or interested in a, or on a sober, curious journey, I would say this, my goal wasn't to quit drinking for the rest of my life and yours doesn't have to be either. But my own philosophy is because the alcohol affects your judgment, your mood, your decision-making, your intuition, in order to evaluate your relationship with alcohol, you have to stop drinking. You don't have to stop drinking forever, but you do have to stop drinking for a period of time. Because the minute you have your first sip, it changes your brain, right? So you're, you, you can't evaluate it while you're drinking it because it's changing your thinking. It's changing your decisions and your judgment. So take a break. Just take a complete break and be a scientist. You know, be curious about yourself. See how it feels. See what you think. Document it right? Notice what's coming up for you. Notice what's hard. And then you can decide to go back to drinking. You can try drinking, you can try not drinking, and then you can see. Now, personally, I think my one-on-one program is for 90 days because I think the longer you go, the more comfortable you get without alcohol and the more you get a glimpse of what a sober life looks like. So for people doing like 30 days or less, dry January, Let's say that's great. That's awesome to take a break. You will definitely learn some things. 
but you don't get the benefits that you get if you go longer because it takes at least that long for your body to reset. So I'm like, oh, you're doing the hardest part over and over again. And that's hard. It's hard to go one day, two days, three days, like 30 days is kind of hard. After 30 days, it gets easier not to drink and it starts to feel better. And so what happens with my clients is they actually lose the desire to drink Mm -hmm. eventually, right? I mean, you have to get through the first days that are tough. And especially if you're addicted and that can mean physically, but that can also mean it's a habit. It's, it's a trigger. It's a sensor that everything says, this is the time of day where I grab a drink. And even if it's not problematic for you, new studies are showing that there's no health benefits to it. So I like to point that out because the old studies that say there are health benefits to it were funded by big alcohol. And so it's not true. Mm. And so, Mm. um, You can choose to eat sugar or not eat sugar. You can choose to ride a skateboard or not ride a skateboard or wear a seatbelt or not wear a seatbelt. You know, you get to make your own choices for yourself, but there really are no health benefits to drinking alcohol. So even if it's not hurting you, it might not be helping you and you might feel better without it. Yeah, because I I wondered that about because I know I've, again, followed you and I see your messaging out there. And so it's not always like quit completely. Um, sometimes the message is drink less. Yeah. So I think that that's a good explanation of why why it can be like, okay, don't you don't have to go cold, cold turkey, but just it's kind of that I think of like when you're saying 90 days, I mean, I work with people in, in health and wellness and try to help them create healthier habits. And so we talk about the 30 day challenge or the I say, you know, let's do it for two or three months, like create these healthier habits because 30 days again is great. Yay. But it's that sometimes it's that next, you know, when you're creating healthier cells after 60, 90 days, and like you said, you're resetting the insides. And so it's easier to help. I think it's easier for those habits to stick. if You carry it further, but they also, there's that big challenge these days called 75 hard. And you know, I'm not, you know, I've, I've watched people do that and things like that. And, um, I've never done it myself, but what you're saying is the fact that you, when you, when you give things up for a period of time, cause I did have a friend, there's a guy that's on our team that just did that. And he said, the things that I've learned about myself, just like you're saying, the things that I've learned about myself mm-hmm. during those 75 days, when I've done this, 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 and checked it all off the list. He said, I'm a different person now after 75 days of doing, mm-hmm. you know, following this protocol that you're supposed to give up or do or all that kind of stuff. I am proud to say that I have done 75 hard. I have a whole blog about it. So you can read about my experience. Um, not that I'm a proponent or not, but I have, but I did do it. But I, I say I did 75 hard, but sometimes I did it soft. So just, you know, <laughs> you don't have to like lift weights. Some of them work out for walks, right? A walk around the block. Um But yeah, going longer. So I can, well, first of all, it can take that long. So one thing that happens is when you're drinking alcohol, you're artificially producing happy chemicals in your brain, right? You have a sip of alcohol. Woohoo, this feels good. I lost some intuition. I feel a little bit freer, a little bit looser, took the edge off. This feels nice. So then you get rid of alcohol and you feel sad because you're not feeling good. You're not getting it from your glass of wine. And you're not producing it yourself yet. Mm. So it can take some time literally for your brain to readjust to a new status quo and start making its own happiness chemicals again. So if you go longer, you are naturally going to start to feel better, but you might not have that in the first 30 days because your brain is like waiting for the alcohol to come, right? 
So that's one thing. The other thing is I look at it like a short airplane ride or a long airplane ride. A short airplane ride is 30 days or less. And you're just sitting and waiting to get off the plane. You're not going to put your seat back. You're not going to get a movie. You're not going to do anything. You're just going to sit there and wait to get off the plane. You're going to sit and wait to drink again. On day 31, you're going to pop open a bottle of wine and say, woohoo, I did it, right? If you go 90 days, that's like a longer airplane ride. You're going to make yourself comfortable to enjoy the ride. You're going to get an eye mask. You're going to get your essential oils. You're going to get a cup of tea and rent a movie and put your seat back and take your shoes off and try to enjoy that ride. And that's a better preview of what an alcohol-free life looks like. Mm. You make yourself comfortable. You start to enjoy yourself. You don't just sit and white knuckle and wait to have a drink again, right? Mm -hmm. And I think it takes a little bit longer to do that. Yeah. And again, that perfectly, it's not a tightrope of perfection that you walk. It's just an experiment to go longer and to learn about yourself. That's good. That's a good, um, uh, for me, yeah, that's a good uh, analogy. And I just got home from a somewhat longer airplane ride where I was able to get get a movie, <laughs> but um, which is a good movie. Just a sidelight. Have you ever watched, did you, have you watched that man? What is it called? The man named Otto? Have you seen that movie? Oh, yes. I loved that. I read the book and I watched the movie and I loved it. Actually, I went to that movie alone as a date with myself. Turns out I love to go to movies by myself because I'm a people pleaser. So if I'm with somebody, I'm worried about their reaction to the movie. And if I'm with myself, I just love sitting in that theater, getting lost in that story. And I prefer to go to movies alone. Honestly, yes. I know. I um, I tend to, um, well, on the way home, I didn't I didn't watch a movie. I couldn't find one really that I liked, but I watched that. I love movies. And it's for that kind of, just like you said, just I like to pour myself in there and just like, that's why, I mean, I started to read that book. This is just a sideline. I started to read that book and I just couldn't get into it. And I think it's probably now that I've seen the movie because he was so crabby, like all the time. I'm like, this guy is unhappy so much, but then it has a happy ending. It's a Mm -hmm. great, it's a great, it's a great book. That's kind of, it's kind of about this. Like we can have, we can decide to change, you know, change our life. That's what he did in the end, not to give it away, but like he decided to change his attitude and um, not be so crabby anymore. And his, you know, and, um, and things were different. Yeah. Yeah. So a client just asked me for a movie recommendation and I was totally blank. So I feel like it was kismet that you just said that. So now I'm reminded that I can let her know. (laughs) Brought to you by Gorski Wellness and the possibility of a better you. Are you feeling sluggish? Ready for a change? Need more energy? Up for a bigger challenge? I'm Moira Gorski, retired nurse and wellness advocate. For over 22 years, I've been helping people live healthier lives while making small changes each and every day. Those small changes lead my clients to living a healthier lifestyle with markedly better health. As a brand ambassador for the Shackley Corporation, the most clinically proven wellness company in the world, I guide my clients to make healthier choices each day with their food, supplements, skincare, workouts, and mindset. They say getting started is half the battle. Let's make healthy happen together. If you're ready for simple, natural, sustainable solutions to feeling and looking your best, let's connect. You'll find a link in the show notes or reach out to me at moiragorski.com. Here's to a better you. Change, I will say, I always say this, just 
I give a complimentary call for coaching support to make sure that we're a match and all that good stuff. As beautiful as we just made it sound. And as you pointed out, like, wait, you told us to be, you drank at 12 and then now you're living a happy awakened life. What happened in the in-between, right? Like there's gotta be more to the story. And change is always, always, and you know this from your dancing, it's harder and slower than you want it to be. Mm -hmm. That is true for everyone every time. So that is the frustrating thing. And I don't have an easy button for that. And I can't sell an infomercial that says journal in the morning and you'll be great. You know what I mean? It's like change is harder and slower than you want it to be every single time, but it is possible. And it does happen in these small shifts add up. And sometimes you don't see it until you see it, right? Like I think of an ice cube thawing, you, you turn up the temperature, turn it up, turn it up, turn it up. You're not seeing any change until that hits 33 degrees, right? Mm -hmm. And then you start to see it melt. But all that time from zero degrees to 33, things were happening. You just weren't seeing it yet. So it's all those little shifts add up to huge transformation, but it, it does happen slowly and gradually and more painfully than you would want, right? People just want to be fixed, fixed fast. It's not that way. Right. Well, and part of the reason why some of the treatment programs work is that it separates you out from where your, your environment, where you were at. And so you can go and dive deep and heal and all that, but then you go back to where you were before. And if nothing's changed, then nothing's you know, really going to change. Yeah. I love that you brought that up because I didn't just quit drinking. Like what I wanted was to quit drinking and have my whole life stay the same. But what actually happened was I quit drinking and I changed my whole life because it clearly my life wasn't working for me. Right. So I was stomping out of my house and going for a walk, but I was also telling my family how I actually felt about something. I was also creating a boundary of what I wouldn't want to do and how I would be talked to and what would be expected of me. And my Poor family, lucky them, they got to change in the process. Mm -hmm. They got to go, whoa, like I wasn't going to be, I had so much guilt as a drinker that I was just being and doing everything for everybody, you know, because I felt so much shame for having drank so much. But when I got sober, it was like, wait a minute, nobody's going to be walking all over me. I'm going to take care of myself. That is my top priority. And uh, my family is going to have to step up and start treating me and each other better too. And it worked. And it was good for everybody, honestly. Yeah, that's good. It doesn't always go that way, right? I mean, sometimes when we do the changing, then the people around us don't really like that. Or I know um, a couple that we met years ago in playgroup, you know, they were big, 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 big drinkers and partiers before we met them. And then she had a child and she just really quit. You know, she she brought it down quite a bit. But her husband still, mm -hmm. I mean, wanted to just drink and did drink quite excessively. And it was always this, you know, uh, some tension there. And um, I mean, it just didn't, it didn't, I mean, he ended up dying, not of the alcoholism, but I mean, he ended up getting cancer and, and passing and, and all that. And I remember talking with her at the, uh, at his celebration of life ceremony. And um, she still had that like, well, you know what, he should have stopped, he could have stopped and whatever. I mean, it was just, it just never, as as she tried to make the changes, he didn't. And it caused a lot of tension there. So it's not always, again, the peaches and cream that you make changes in your life and you set new boundaries and things like that. And not everybody's going to come along. But I'm here to say that it's. Yeah. But at the end of the day, all you got is you. And so make the changes for you. Set the boundaries for you. Find the life for you. Mm -hmm. 
And if the people around you come along, then that's great. And if they don't, you know, you've got to take care of, you've got to take care of yourself. Yeah. It's such a good point. And to be clear, I, there's no change without loss and I've lost friendships. I've lost lifetime friendships that I've had. There's been a ton of loss and a ton of pain in getting sober also. And I wouldn't choose it. I would still choose it. I would still choose it even with all that loss because I have a relationship with myself that I didn't have because I have peace and solace when my head hits the pillow at night. And so it's been worth it. But definitely there has been painful loss. Some of it I'm still trying to process. And just a side note, um, it's not advertised, but alcohol contributes to seven different forms of cancer. So that's what I'm saying. It, you know, it's, it's, it's a choice. It's a legal drug and it's a choice, but it is also an addictive substance and there are no health benefits. And in fact, there's a lot of danger and risk in drinking alcohol too, even moderately, Mm -hmm. you know, and, and I was a very like gray area, high achieving drinker. In fact, when I quit, people would say, I've never even seen you drunk. And I was like, yes, well, that was the goal. I was hiding it. I didn't want to be that person. I was um, running circles around everybody, getting everything done and keeping everything up. You know, nobody would know that it was a, a struggle for me because it was a private and mostly secret struggle. Mm-hmm. You know, when you talk about, again, discovering yourself and discovery and you mentioned dance. I mean, I, again, just got back from a trip with um, with it was a uh, incentive trip that I you know earned from the company Shackley that I work with and represent and, you know, so many people like, I love to watch your dancing, which again, I think that's great. I love that people watch it and they enjoy it. And it's been this journey of discovery because it's mm-hmm. so out of what I usually do <laughs> that, and it's not, as I tell, as I told several people there, and I'll always say it, it's not about, for me, it is, I mean, I, I grew up playing classical piano. And so, you know, you play a waltz or a a foxtrot. I mean, I love that music. It really speaks to me. So that's why I love to, you know, dance the smooth stuff. But it's, um, but once I started dancing, then I started discovering stuff about me. Because it's doesn't just about like how I could do the steps in the waltz. It was like how I'm showing up and how I'm trying to lead as I'm, you know, partnered up with somebody that they're supposed to lead. And I'm like, no, but I can, can I just do it? Like, don't you know who I am? Like I get stuff done. I want to do this. I want to go first. And like in dance, you can't, you have to trust the person that you're with and you have to be strong and show up and all that, but I have to let them lead and I have to trust them. Mm -hmm. And that is so it's, it's difficult for me. Every time I go there, it's very difficult to do that. You have to let go and release and trust. And trust, <laughs> right. And it's not always easy to do. And again, it comes out, the result usually looks pretty good, sometimes not, but it's really not just mm-hmm. about the dance. But for me, it's been about discovering myself and letting go mm-hmm. and doing all of that. And it's a beautiful thing. And I always say, you don't have to come and dance, but just find something that you can do which I like what you said, that you can discover yourself. I have an unpopular opinion that's like people say, find your why before you get started. And I say, mm, for ditching the drink, you don't need to do that. Quit drinking. You'll figure out your why real fast <laughs> because mm-hmm. your husband will say something that irritates you and you're not going to pour a drink and you recognize what's starting to happen inside of you. That's why. 
mm-hmm. because your kids are starting to help you. You know what I mean? And your emotions are bubbling up. That's why, because you're waking up to do this job. That's not bringing you joy and you can't wait to get home and have a drink at the end of the day. That's why, right? The whys you start to discover that when you let go of the thing that you've been using to, to tolerate your life and who wants to tolerate their life. Like mm-hmm. if you need a substance to tolerate your life. Maybe it's okay to look at making some changes in your life, right? Mm-hmm. Maybe yeah. your puzzle piece has shifted and this isn't the right place for you anymore. So you offer lots of support for people in different ways. So tell uh, the audience, if you would, you know, just the ways that you do support people and how, how they can find you and connect up with you if they want to have a call or be part of what you're doing. Yeah, I welcome anyone. So first of all, I have a website. It's ditchedthedrink.com. And I have a free weekly newsletter with lots of personal development tips. I recommend everyone get on that newsletter list. Um, I offer one-on-one coaching support. That is a 12-week long program. And we, we I work one-on-one with you to um, plan, reward, and celebrate. So it's nothing that you think of sobriety if you think that's sad. It's like actually a really fun process of discovery. And we make a plan to set you up for success. We figure out, how, I say, spoil yourself sober. There's no deprivation here. Figure out how you're going to reward yourself and celebrate. That includes um, unlimited text and email support for me. It also includes a three-month access to my community. I also have an insider community membership. You can also just sign up for the community if you want. There's monthly master classes on a variety of topics. There's at least two group coaching calls a month, and there's a 24-7 private online um, community that you can access. It's it's a mobile app, actually, so you can do it right from your phone. And then I have a six-week Ditch the Drink uh, Jumpstart class. If you want a digital class with daily videos and resources, if you're starting a sober, curious journey, I have that. In addition, I recruit people to become coaches. Often um, my clients, they get sober and then they want to help others get sober. So if you have questions about being a certified recovery coach, I can help you with that. And this summer, I'm launching a class for how to launch your coaching business. So after you've been certified as a coach and you know how to coach, now you want clients, now you want to set up a business, you don't know how to do that. I can help you with that too. So ditchthedrink.com, all social media too, like Facebook, Pinterest, LinkedIn, Instagram. I'm on a social media break right now, but that'll be ending and you can follow me there at all those those places. Yeah, that's awesome. It's awesome. It's a great level of support that you provide lots of different ways that people can can, uh, work with you and find you. And again, dip their toe in or jump all the way in, depending on what their um, curiosity level is at. And um, again, so many really, really cool things that you shared today. I love that date with yourself thing because I tend to, um, I don't know, I watch my movies at home. Maybe I'll go out and watch some movies by myself, but I love that date with. Um, I just got goosebumps. Yeah, I, I dare you to go to the theater and eat the popcorn all on your own or whatever it is. So I get right. an icy Diet Coke and don't share. <laughs> right, exactly. Right. Don't share the popcorn, don't share the drinks and things like that. So, but I love that, even if it's, um, going to a coffee shop by yourself and, or going to a park and reading a book or going, I mean, you know, or going to the, um, I did do this uh, recently. I didn't think about it at a date for myself, but I went and, um, to a beautiful pottery studio around here and they actually had some fused glass, um, classes. And so I took a fused glass class, you know, myself. So I love it. I love all of that. Yeah. 
finding things to do with yourself. Yeah, the French market coming up in your area is a perfect date with self. Yeah. That's Grab right. a cup of coffee and stroll around the produce, right? <laughs> that's right. So any last words for our audience here today, uh, Heather, that you'd like to share? I really appreciate you being here. Sure. Stay curious. Tune in instead of tune out and um, find support. You know, find somebody that you can talk to about this. If you have any inkling that, you know, you might want to take a look at something or evaluate something, let it be an experiment, not the final result. It's not a tightrope of perfection. Just get curious and experiment, find support and know that a sober life is not a somber life. I mean, that is my biggest, if I could make my voice so loud, it would be everything you're afraid of about what being sober means is old news, Hmm. you know? Yeah. (laughs) That is old fashioned to think that it's, it's sad or you live your life in a basement or something, or your hand is slapped and now you have to sit in the corner at every party. That is absolutely not what my experience has been. Yeah, that's great. Thank you, Heather, for being here. I really do appreciate you taking the time. Thank you. And uh, thank you again, listeners. I always say at the end, please share this with others because uh, these messages are powerful and people need to know um, that there's hope for uh, recovery and change and that we can live our best lives and uh, lives filled with joy when we make these intentional choices. So we will see you next time. Hey there, ready to live a more joyful life? Considering connecting with someone who can help you? If so, I'd like to be that person. I offer a free consultation where we determine where the chaos is in your life and how you can learn to bring more joy each and every day. Visit my website, moiragorski.com, or simply email me, moira at moiragorski.com, with more joy in the subject line. I look forward to connecting, and I'm here to say there will always be some chaos, which requires a little juggling, but you can find joy and live your life intentionally filled with that joy. Let me help you on your journey to joy. And that's joy, the journey of you.